Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, the science community, industry, and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factum Agri, and working with my friends at the Rural Support Trust, I'm talking with Suzanne Rowe from Ag Research to hear about research on low methane emitting sheep. And I also have Ben Speedy, the GM of Rural Banking at ASB, join me once again to further discuss the all-important area of succession. But before we get into that, a quick message from the Rural Support Trust. Farmers, if you have surplus animal feed, then maybe you can move it or sell it to other farmers from areas across our great nation who are in desperate need due to droughts or floods. Please call 0800 787 254 if you can help. Now first up this week, let's check in with Susan Rowe on low methane emitting sheep. Hello Suzanne, thank you for joining me today. Hi Angus, thank you for the invitation. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? So um, I'm a scientist uh, at, at AgriSearch, so, so we carry out uh, research uh, in the agriculture industry and uh, I'm a geneticist, so I work on breeding animals that are, that are suitable for our, our livestock systems and our farms, so I'm looking at breeding um, healthy, fit animals that, that, that produce the, the sorts of products that, uh, that, that we, we like to consume. Um, and, and currently I'm working on, on breeding schemes, uh, mostly in sheep. And, uh, the focus, the main focus of, of, of our current breeding scheme is, uh, methane emissions. So mm. we're really interested in, in selecting for an animal that has a, a low environmental footprint, uh, a low, low environmental impact. Yeah. Fantastic. So you're currently leading a program and I gather it's a world first that is now being rolled out to breeders uh, and indeed industry. And you touched on methane just then. Of course, methane is front and centre in New Zealand agriculture currently. Can you tell me about the background of the study and how it started? Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, so methane is a, is, is a big challenge for, for countries where we have a lot of grazing ruminants. Um, so, so, so we raise our animals at grass, and and grazing grass produces the the gas methane. And um, around ten years ago, a, a scientist uh, called John McEwen actually got some um, funding from from the government and and, and from industry. Uh, so, so a, a bunch of partners got together and funded a study. And 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 what John did was to um, take sheep across the country uh, from from a range of of, of environments. And he measured them over a series of, of, of years, actually, through through respiration chambers to see if there was any difference in the methane emissions of, of individual sheep. So he really wanted to know if every sheep emits the same amount of methane and there's nothing we can do or whether actually there are differences and we could choose the, the, the low emitters. Mm. So that's how the program started. That's really interesting. What sheep were selected for the program and why? 
So what, what John did was uh, Beef and Lamb New Zealand had uh, what they call central progeny tests. And these are these are test flocks and they had four across across New Zealand that were representative of, of all, all, all the breeds uh, that, that we have in New Zealand. So they were they were really representative of the of the national flock. And the reason that we um, measured those is because then any results that we had would would be relevant to the national flock and, and animals that are actually on the ground. So it would have direct relevance to all, all, all the breeders and farmers in New Zealand. So tell me, Suzanne, how does this research work in terms of process and methods? So in, in terms of process, we started off using full respiration chambers, and that's where uh, an animal is, is, is within a, a respiration chamber and all the gases that are emitted from, from the animal are measured over a 48-hour period. Uh, we then um, took the results from that and we studied very carefully the, the methane emission profile and we found that there was a, a, a one-hour period uh, directly after feeding that, that was important and we came up with a with basically a one-hour measure. So we, we cut down from 48-hour measures to a one-hour measure and then we made a really, really simple chamber uh, which can be used on-farm where we just measure a young sheep for, for one hour um, and and that's that's the measure that basically ranks its methane emissions against all its contemporaries uh, for life. So we measured young sheep and we measured adult sheep, and what we found was that um, if you ranked animals from you know lowest to highest emitting mm. as lambs, they were the same as adults. So we've we've really come a long way in the process. And the final part of the process, once we had this sort of very basic measure was to actually mount that on wheels so we now have a trailer mm. and we take it from farm to farm and farmers are, are, are given or breeders are given the opportunity to to measure their own sheep uh, through this trailer and then um, we've teamed up with with beef and lamb new zealand and the farmer has the trailer on their farm they measure some of their sheep uh, the rest is done using genomic testing and beef and lamb new zealand send them out a sheet uh, with with all, the, all, all their animals ranked for, for methane and then they can choose the low emitters uh, in their breeding program. So what we're aiming to do is every year that people choose or, or breeders choose parents of the next generation, we want those parents to be the low methane animals. So as we're breeding for, for, for a future where we have much lower impact on the environment. Mm, okay. Can we boil this down to one element in terms of methane reduction taking centre stage or will outcomes be determined by a number of factors? I think that there, there certainly will be a number of factors. From, from our perspective, um, everything that ranks low in our system seems to rank low. However, we treat it so grazing animals that rank low seem to rank low, even if they're not grazing, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're fed a different mm. feedstuff. So, so that, that, that's really important. Um, but we're still aware that um, there are other technologies and other mitigation strategies coming online all the time so um, they range from just being more efficient in in, in farming uh, to, to make sure that um, you know animals um, have a nice long healthy life um, mm. using different feeds so some feeds produce less methane than, than others um, 
using so that there are some feed additives that that, that can help in in the process of the, mm-hmm. the sort of digestion of feed, uh, and 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 finally there's work on a on a vaccine um, that uh, will will take quite a long time to to develop, and and obviously vaccine development is is difficult and expensive, but the hope is that this vaccine may actually reduce methane by by a considerable amount, so it's it's worth the investment. Mm. So um, there's there's a series of sort of uh, investment strategies. Uh, all facing the challenge together, and, and breeding is a is a sort of key part of that. Mm. So, what sort of results are you currently seeing in the program? We have uh, sheep that we only breed for for methane. We don't we don't sort of select them for anything else. Mm. And we've been selecting for um, both high methane mm. in one group and low methane in another. And that's because we want to see what the difference is between a low and a high. So that's a, a powerful research strategy. Mm. And the average of those flocks, uh, they they vary, they differ by about 12%. Okay. Uh, so the low methane lines are 12% lower. But if I took my very highest emitting ram and my very lowest emitting ram, I see about a 20 to 25% difference between them. So wow. if we ignore everything else that we're, you know, that, that we've been breeding for and just breed for methane, uh, we can make really quite significant differences. When we look at a, a sort of a, a standard flock, uh, we see that we can make around about half to 1% change per year um, in, in, in the flock without affecting all the other things that we're breeding for. So we can, we can um, sort of cumulatively and sustainably lower those methane emissions every year. And, and that's what we're hoping to do in, in, in the national flock is to just br- every year bring that methane lower and lower and lower. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating work. Um, have there been any changes to growth rates or birthing percentages or any animal health changes for that matter that you have noticed? Yeah, it's 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 really quite interesting. So so we've we've spent a lot of time looking at the you know the, the animal itself mm. and particularly the, the the gut and the gut microbes and, and what and what they're doing because it's the those gut microbes that, that that produce the methane. And what we're seeing is um, a different sort of carb source then coming out of the animal's gut. And that carb source has less acetate which is the precursor for fat deposition so what we're actually seeing is that the the animals that are low, lower methane tend not to be as fat so they tend to be a bit leaner mm. um, so uh, we don't see much differences in terms of actual growth rate mm-hmm. but uh, we see uh, slightly leaner animals um they tend to grow more wool, so there must be something in that change in fermentation that's sort of, okay. um, you know, pr- producing more wool. We, yeah. we don't know why yet, so we're, we're sort of delving into that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we don't see any changes in, in in reproduction as such. Most of the sort of standard things that that we look at and measure are are unaffected, which which is a really mm. good thing because yeah. it means that we can sort of breed independently. But we are seeing in the in the low lines. Um, they do seem to be slightly more parasite resistant. So um, we're wondering if if they have a slightly better immune function. So again, delving into that. But but fortunately, at the moment, the only things that we've seen are actually positive. And, and when we sort of look mm. at the economic worth of, 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 of our stock, the low lines are actually higher than 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 the than the high lines. So the low emitting animals, the environmentally friendly animals then for want of a better term, uh, currently uh, have a greater economic worth in in the sort of standard farming context uh, than the high. So so that's that that's really good news for us. Mm, indeed. And clearly there is a hereditary component to all of this. 
Yeah, very much so. You know, of course, that's the sort of keystone to 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 the start of the program was was to find out whether one there's there's any variation, so any differences between animals, and two, if it gets passed on to the next generation, and and what we're seeing is is a heritability of of, of around thirty percent, which is um, quite quite close to many other standard traits. Um, so, so we we know that there's a there's a, a genetic component, and that if we breed from low emitting animals, that their their offspring will, will be low emitting. So we can pass it on to the next generation. Mm. So where to from here in this work? So from here, um, at the moment, we're we're heavily involved in in really getting this technology out to as many breeders as we can. Uh, so uh, beef and lamb are, are, are helping with that and, and they're helping farmers to, to pay for their measures and, and getting farmers the information that they need to make breeding decisions that, that, that take um, methane into account. So um, that, that's the most important part of our work at the moment. But we're also constantly looking for other ways to, to measure methane. So we've, we've focused in the early years in sheep. Uh, we're very interested in cattle, and one of the things that we're seeing is that when we take a sample of the of the of the of the bugs in in the gut, uh, that actually we can predict methane just using a, a sample. Um, so um, it may well be that we can come up with other ways to predict methane that um, don't involve chambers, and and that we can use these these uh, methods in, in in cattle. So we're we're working with um, the cattle industry, who themselves are, are are looking at ways to 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 breed for low methane. So it's about finding a a sustainable way to to measure animals uh, that that sort of fits the whole livestock sector and getting that technology right out to, to every farm. So everyone has the option of doing something for themselves uh, in, in this sort of challenge to, to lower our greenhouse gas emissions. This has potential or is potentially a game changer for New Zealand farmers, isn't it? It's 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 part of a strategy. And yes, it's, you know, it's 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 really great to be able to come up with solutions that can be used on farm mm. um, you know rather than, than than farmers being stuck with just having to pay a carbon tariff which of course does 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 nothing to actually lower the emissions so it's, mm. it's good to be doing something practical absolutely thank you very much for your time today and have a wonderful easter break thanks angus fascinating work and indeed work that is currently in the melting pot, among others, that will further improve the environmental footprint of New Zealand farmers. We truly are world leaders when it comes to farming. And before we rush off and drag farmers into the ETS or find further ways to clip their tickets, I would suggest hitting the pause button. Celebrate how efficient we are compared with other food producing nations and look at the work going into the breeding and technology space currently. Rather than looking for ways to negatively impact this country's most important sector. Of course, another important area of farming is succession. And recently, I had Ben Speedy from ASB Bank join me to discuss succession. And he joins me once again as we continue the conversation. Hello, Ben. Welcome back to the show. Good Angus. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. How are you getting on? Yeah, absolutely super, actually. Fantastic. We are talking about succession from ASB's perspective. Ben, why is outside the square thinking so important when you're considering a farm succession plan? 
I think the the first thing around thinking about, you know, thinking outside the square is that it actually helps facilitate the conversation on what the children want to be doing. And one of the key uh, sort of challenges that typically the people that own the farm go through is around when to support their children. You know, is it providing them with money now or is it providing money later on? And, you know, to be honest, I mean, some people don't have the benefit of being able to make that decision. But, you know, it's often one of the key things that people think about with regard to succession. I think the second point would be that, you know, the pathway to farm ownership uh, is much more of a zigzag these days than a straight line. And, you know, we've, we know so many stories whereby, you know, people have typically gone into contract milking, 50-50 share milking, buying the farm, or in the sheep and beef side of things, you know, leasing a farm to be able to get in a position to be able to buy it. But it's not quite like that these days. And, and mm. we say it's like a zigzag because we actually see uh, more and more people that are wanting to buy the family farm need to ex explore sort of diversification with regard to being in a position to be able to afford the farm. And, you know, most commonly what we're seeing now is a lot more, you know, people looking at, say, off-farm investments such as uh, buying a rental residential property or something like that. And if you've done that over the last sort of uh, five to seven years, you would have done very well out of that. And, you know, they're the types of things that people are thinking about with regard to, you know, why, you know, how to get into the best position to buy it and therefore, you know, why it's so important to think outside the square. Yeah, look, that's really interesting. Can you give some examples of diversification or new thinking, perhaps, um, that you've seen which have helped families achieve success with their succession plan? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, sort of going back a little bit, well, one of the key things is, you know, if there are sort of more assets to split up, then it does make succession a wee bit easier, you know. So that's sort of one of the other reasons why succession is, a, is part of me, why diversification is, is quite a good strategy. Mm. I think, as I, as I touched on before, you know, the most often seen example is very much around, you know, helping people get into residential property. Um, and that there might be the share mortgage who's driving their own wealth to be in a better position. Um, or secondly, it might be uh, around how, you know, mum and dad are supporting our children getting to properties themselves. And, and that's done in a myriad of ways, whether it being, you know, the trust lending money to the children or actually just, you know, uh, passing on uh, funds to make that happen. That's, that's very much the most common example. Mm. I think outside of that, you know, there are these sort of on-farm and off-farm investments. So, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen some really cool stories and examples of, you know, children wanting to come back to the farm um, that's not necessarily going to be viable to be able to split it at the existing operations into sort of for two children or for one child and mum and dad to continue to uh, maintain their sort of lifestyles. And what we've seen is you know, a really good example of um, one family coming back and, and milking sheep on a quarter of the property. Um, we've seen other examples whereby people have um, gone into sort of more horticultural investment, been on the farm. So that's been one way of doing it. Mm. And then secondly, you know, the, these more off-farm investments. So that there is, you know, we're seeing people thinking about the future and that might be, you know, investing, you know, in other income streams. So again, you know, we've seen a lot of investment go into horticulture over the last couple of years. And, 
that's been done directly by both but indirectly you know with a lot of you know really successful syndication companies that are uh, participating in that um and then there's also you know commercial properties and various things like that because not only does that provide an off-farm investment to help generate wealth to enable people to be in a better position for succession but it also creates passive income streams down the track so um, you know, one of the really important points of succession and whether you're thinking about diversification as a strategy um, is that you also need to make sure that the asset that you pass on to your child uh, is, you know, generating sufficient return so they can make a really good go of it. Um, mm. Because if you start to compromise that too much, then it, it becomes very tricky for the next generation. So hence why we're seeing a lot more of those sort of passive income streams, you know, and last week we, we chatted a little bit around, you know, forestry and, and carbon, but, you mm. know, the, there's a range of opportunities that are available there. Is the bank sort of leading these uh, discussions and, and strategies or is it a mixture for example, is the farmer coming to the bank and saying, hey, look, here's an idea for this all to work. Can you help me flesh out uh, this a bit more? And also, is there a third party involvement, whether it be a farm advisor or an accountant involved in this process too? We, we actually just keep coming back to, you know, what do you want to achieve with regard to your business? Mm. And ultimately, you know, that typically falls into sort of buckets. You know, there are people that are very much around how do I um, ensure that my business is as robust as possible and repay debt so I'm in a really good position in, mm. in the future. Mm. Um, the second one would be, you know, people that are thinking about, well, now I'm, now I'm in a good position to be able to think about the next stage of my wealth creation. So should that be expanding my existing operation or should that be, um, investing, you know, outside of the business and mm. some form of diversification strategy. And then the sort of the succession lens sits across the top of all of that per my sort of earlier um, point around, mm. you know, we really help encourage these conversations with all family members talking about what they want to achieve, you know, be it within their business or within life and then how we can help sort of facilitate um, those activities to take place. I think, you know, beyond that, you know, as part of those conversations, there are also, you know, other avenues that we talk about. So, mm. you know, with any form of diversification strategy, there's an element of risk versus reward. So, you know, risk can be both financial, but it also can be around, do I have the expertise to be able to ensure that that business is successful? Um, and, and historically, the more risk you've taken, the greater return, but, um, you know, that can also go the other way. I think the, the second sort of key conversation we have um, when we're having, you know, these talks is is also very much around the liquidity aspects of all of mm. this as well. So, you know, it's one thing to sort of start diversifying your business and investing in different things. But, you know, what does it mean when the farm next door comes available? And, you know, can you actually be in a position to maintain those uh, investments and buy the farm next door? Or are you going to need to sort of sell those and hence why liquidity becomes really important to ensure that you are in the best position to be able to keep doing the things you need to. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. So what would really help farmers, or what really helps farmers see the opportunities available to them? Uh, the very first one is just continue to be curious, you know, and that there is around people taking a real active interest around what's happening uh, outside of the farm, be it still within the food and fibre industry or, or be it outside of, you know, food and fibre and property or share market or various things like that. I think that's the first one. The second one would be, you know, it's really important to understand return on capital. So, you know, what if 
you know, return on capital is sort of aided also by leverage around how much debt you're going to take on board with regard to, you know, pursuing that particular opportunity. But, you know, uh, people that have invested in residential property over the last five years have, have probably, well, have not probably, they have outperformed, you know, other asset classes such as shares or 50-50 share milking as an example, right? So mm. I think you're, it's really important that you're always looking at, you know, how do I extract the highest return on capital, which is, going to both grow my wealth but also you know i can still sleep at night with regard to my expertise and the level of risk that i want to have mm, um sure also, yeah and then probably the third thing is just like keep discussing these opportunities with your children so you know again it, it keeps coming back to if if, if my child if you know one of my children's got a really active interest around you know sort of setting up a you know sheep milking business as the example i used before on the farm like how do i encourage that to happen but you know more and more as sort of people sort of you know um move towards cities is around well how can i help my child be really successful with regard to establishing an appropriate business on their own right so you know there are other things that um you know that we really encourage people to, to do and, and chat about there's some wonderful uh, thoughts and advice there ben look thank you for your time yeah i mean thanks angus and we, you know, we're very passionate about this topic you know as i said at the um, start you know there's We've been working with our customers for a long time. We want to make sure that they see the best outcomes for both themselves and their families. And so, you know, that's what gets us out of bed and makes us really passionate about those conversations. And, you know, with ASB, there is the benefit of being a full service bank. So, you mm-hmm. know, we have experts and everything with regard to what you can and can't, what can and can't do with money. So, you know, we're always one conversation away from either knowing the answer ourselves or providing you with the best person to have that chat with. Thank you to both my guests today. I hope everyone has a great Easter break. And thank you to our farmers out there. Without you, we would be poor, hungry, naked and sober. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.